Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and to being in right relationship with ourselves, one another, and with this planet. We're very glad you're here. So we come from a heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everyone. And it is in the spirit of that heritage that one of the ways that we greet the divine on Sunday morning is by greeting the people around us. We will be able to do that at some point in the future, but we can't right now. So if we have comments, we greet one another in the comments. I invite you to join me as we say our chalice lighting words together. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our reading today comes to us from Marta Valentin's A Long Time Blooming. Valentin is a Latina, lesbian, feminist, poet, percussionist, and UU minister. This piece is called Gratitude to My Ancestors. With honor and respect, these eyes see for you all manner of life you could not have imagined. My lips move with the rhythm of your words flowing through me, my tongue caressing each morsel of wisdom I am graced to pass on. Your DNA rides my veins. And with every breath I take, your cautious steps from the past toward a fuller life become bold moves I make toward my destiny. Together, we wrap arms around a new generation, here to become who they were born to be, to cast their magic as we once did, and bless each day for their ability to do so. For you, dear ancestors, we live this day. This congregation wrote its own mission statement to guide our decisions as we move into the future together. We wrote it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. After we say our mission, we have a moment for beloved community so that we can learn something about what it would be like to live in a world with equity in it or what it's like to live in this world of white uh, supremacy culture because all of us, people of color, white people, everyone, we swim around in it and sometimes we internalize it and sometimes we just don't notice it and sometimes we notice it all too much. There was a blogger named John Scalzi, uh, S-C-A-L-Z-I, who wrote, I think, a wonderful explanation about eight years ago of how to think about this. And what he said is, think about life in our culture as a video game. Now, you can lose the game if you're a white man 
definitely things can go really wrong for you. He said, but if you're a white man, you're really playing at the lowest level of difficulty. If you're a woman, you're playing at a somewhat higher level of difficulty in the game. If you're a person of color, you're playing at somewhat higher level of difficulty in the game. If you're a woman of color, you have a pretty high level of difficulty. If you're LGBTQ, uh, you have a higher level of difficulty in this video game of our culture. If you're a, a black lesbian with uh, a disability, you are playing at one of the top levels of difficulty that there is, and you are a complete um, badass. I hope I can say that in church. Good morning. I hope you had a festive Halloween yesterday. If you're someone who normally would have enjoyed trick-or-treating this year, I hope that you'll come this afternoon to church from 2 to 3.30 when Fellowship is hosting a drive-through trick-or-treating car parade event where you can come and get candy and show us your costumes. Today we're reading a story by Julius Lester, who was a black American author, photographer, activist, musician. He won lots of awards for his books. And he said that he always loved walking through cemeteries, even if he didn't know anyone buried there, because he felt it was important to honor the ancestors. Today I'm in this cemetery in my neighborhood, honoring the ancestors here and sharing them with you. The Girl Who Saved Yesterday by Julius Lester illustrated by Carl Angel. When the people of the village sent the girl into the forest, it was the trees, as ancient as breath, who took her in and raised her and named her Silence. She loved living with them, but now they were asking her to leave them, to return to her village to save yesterday. Silence didn't understand what she was supposed to do, how to save yesterday, and the trees didn't know either. That evening, she fell asleep in the branches of her teacher and friend, who carried her to the edge of the village that had sent her away. When Silence woke up, she saw the mountain, which loomed over the village like a memory no one could recall. She had been a baby when she was found at its base, with no parents. She was certain they lived at the top of the mountain, and every day she had tried to climb up there. The villagers told her she would anger the mountain if she did, and it would send down fire and destroy everything and everyone. When she refused to obey them, the villagers felt they had no choice but to take her deep inside a distant forest and leave her there. The villagers stared at the girl. Her dark skin shone as bright as the blackness which surrounds the stars and makes them gleam. They recognized her and wondered why she'd come back. Before they could ask, sun began sliding from the sky like disappointment that would never be redeemed. Afraid, people hurried to hide in their homes, but no one thought to warn Silence that she would die if she stayed outside on this particular night. A stillness came down from the mountain. Fear quivered inside Silence. Suddenly a redness rose from the mountain and swelled until it filled the sky. Then it burst and split into long, narrow shafts, all shrieking like bolts of lightning sharpened by hopelessness, and the very land shook as if it were sobbing. Silence wanted to run from the arrows of light coming at her, but to her surprise, she felt them only as wind. 
She recognized their sobs and screams as the sounds of a heart that was not loved. Finally, the morning came and the lights rose into the air. Stillness knew why the trees had sent her back and what she had to do to save yesterday. When the people of the village came outside, she told them, I need a scythe. The iron maker went to his shop and gave her one. With a wide and smooth swing of the blade, Silence began cutting a path through the tall grasses of the mountainside. When she reached the top of the mountain, she found a large field where thick grasses grew like tears of an unseen sadness and tall trees. Silence spoke to the trees, and they pulled their roots from the ground and moved to the farthest edge of the field. Now Silence could see the flat stones hidden among the grasses. As she cleared the grass and dirt from around one stone, it began to glow a pink as gentle and soft as a first kiss. She touched the stone and whispered, I came back. I came back. She felt the warmth of the stone's smile and wondered if it was her parent. The next morning, the iron maker joined her, working quietly all day, uncovering and cleaning more flat stones. The next morning, the iron maker brought his family, and more and more people joined until the entire village was helping. The flat stones shone like love that had been tested and prevailed. Silence spoke. I was sent back here to save yesterday. Here lie your parents and mine, from yesterday so old you do not remember their names or their lives. They were angry at being forgotten. You cannot have today without yesterday. You may forget yesterday, but it remembers you. Tonight we will remember all the yesterdays with music and dancing and delicious food. The people went back to get their instruments and food and followed the drummers back up the mountain dancing. They danced around the field and among the stones in a long line, holding each other's hands. When night told sun to go to sleep, dark red lights rose from the flat stones like lost memories, happy to have been found. The lights rippled and changed, weaving and stretching until they encircled the people, holding them in an embrace as gentle as eternity. The lights faded from the stones. Silence watched from the edge of the field, glad she had come back. She was lifted gently in the branches of a tree and carried to another place where yesterday longed for today. When the people returned to the village, they realized that she was gone. They wanted to ask her to forgive them and to thank her for the blessing of yesterday. But she knew, and from that time on, the people remembered. reading today is from Barago Diop, who was a Senegalese poet and storyteller whose work restored general interest in African folk tales. He received numerous awards for his writings. The dead are never gone. They are in the shadows. The dead are not in the earth. They're in the rustling tree, the groaning wood water that runs water that sleeps they're in the hut in the crowd the dead are not dead the dead are never gone they're in the breast of a woman 
They're in the crying child, in the flaming firebrand. The dead are not in the earth. They're in the dying fire, the weeping grasses, whimpering rocks. They're in the forest. They're in the house. The dead are not dead. We now come to a time of centering in our service when we join with one another in an attitude of meditation and prayer as much as we can in the situation we find ourselves in. It is in this prayer, meditation, and silence that we might find a still place inside. And in this still place is where we find wisdom and compassion. I'm going to ask since this is All Saints Day and we are honoring our ancestors today that during this time of silence you call out wherever you are the names of your beloved dead that you would like to bring into this circle. It doesn't have to be a person. It could be a pet as well. An animal companion. So now let us enter into the silence together, breaking the silence to call out the names of those who are dear to us who have gone on into the mystery.
when my sister and I were in high school, my mother took us on a tour of what she called our godly heritage. We were in Fayetteville, Tennessee, to visit an old overgrown graveyard. And then from there, we went uh, back to 96, South Carolina, to visit another overgrown graveyard, not quite as bad as the one in Fayetteville. Um, We were visiting our godly heritage because that was important to her. She loved genealogy and history. And she told us lots of stories about the people in her side of the family that had come before us. We heard stories from everybody in the family about my great-grandfather, who kept this mean rooster in the backyard. He had 13 children. And... One of the only, the only thing that made him get rid of that mean rooster was when one of his grown sons, who had become a doctor, put his foot down and said he was tired of patching up the little kids that had gotten shredded by this mean rooster. That same grandfather, great-grandfather, um, he couldn't stand it when... The children had honey for a meal. He had to leave the room. 13 children plus honey. No, he couldn't take it. He served the same church as their minister for 54 years. And on the Sunday that he turned 80 that week, he stood up in the pulpit, preached his sermon. And then he called on Brother Matthew to have prayer. And Brother Matthew uh, stood up, got ready to pray, and my grandfather said, my great-grandfather said, um, I do not think that someone who is over 80 years old should be preaching in the pulpit. And so I am retiring today. (laughs) And everyone's jaws dropped, and Brother Matthew stuttered out some kind of a prayer, and... My great-grandfather walked out of the church and went home. He was quite a character. They used to, um, they would, they would make each child, each child of the 13, um, memorize Bible verses, and they would have to say a Bible verse, recite one right before every meal. And one time the youngest, Uncle Sad, his real name was Walter, but they called him Sad because he had great big puppy eyes. So Uncle Sad was being punished, and so he was sit, sitting at a little table by himself. And when it came around to his Bible verse, he sobbed. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I love hearing family stories, and that's one of the ways that we um, honor our ancestors is by telling their stories, by cooking their recipes, by thinking about them, their qualities. Um, So when people talk about ancestors, I know some about some of mine, and yet I really have to go back, 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 back generations into the mists of Ireland where my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Ned, um, in defiance of British law, started teaching the children Gaelic. It was against the law to teach Gaelic because they wanted all the Irish children to speak English. But he was 80 years old. He said, what can they do to me? And he taught until he was 94. So you have ancestors. You have the ones who share your DNA. You have the ones 
who march back through the chemistry of your being. And you also have other ancestors. If you were adopted into a family, you have your, the family that chose you, and then you have your DNA family. Most of us also have friends who are like a chosen family. They're like our sisters and like our brothers and like our cousins. Any in that group who have gone on before into the mystery could be claimed, I think, and honored as ancestors of a sort. You also have your intellectual ancestors. You have um, people whose writings and whose poetry, whose music, whose adventures have given you life. I think it's okay to claim those who will allow themselves to be claimed by you. You also have your, um, your academic ancestors, if you are that sort of person who was taught by this person, who was taught by that person, who was in turn taught by that person. This is your, your academic line. We have your spiritual line of the people who, who held and cared for those who held and cared for you. The list of ancestors is growing beyond the DNA ancestors. And I'm glad because uh, I think my DNA ancestors, staunch Christians that they all were, would just be horrified to be honored as ancestors, except my witchy Aunt Ruth, who would be happy to be called into any circle of any kind of worship. But these people, uh, my intellectual ancestors, my academic ancestors, my spiritual ancestors, my chosen family ancestors, those, I have lots to choose from. And um, I also want to say that it might not be okay to choose just anyone you want to. I, uh, for example, would love to choose Audre Lorde as one of my ancestors, a radical black lesbian poet. But I think that if I were to approach her about whether it'd be okay for me to claim her as an ancestor, she might just say, go away, white lady. I, I don't feel like I'm radical enough for her or brave enough for her. I would have to change in some pretty substantial ways, I think, for her to be happy to be claimed as my ancestor. So be careful. You can't just have anybody you want. But I think it's good to think about who you'd like to claim and whose influences you'd like to bring into your life. And speaking of influences, the people who raised us have the most influence on us, for good and for bad. And I think it's a better part of wisdom to take their finest qualities, if you can, and seek to integrate those into your life. And the qualities that they have that just wouldn't serve you or wouldn't serve the people around you. I think it's okay to put those aside, but I think it's really important to know that some of their less fine qualities may in fact be part of who you are. And ignoring those qualities is not the best idea because they will stay there. And it's like ignoring a wasp in the room. You just want to know where it is at all times. So it doesn't sting you by your own lack of attention. And so uh, I want to turn this whole thing around here toward the end. I want to say 
Uh, let's also think about ourselves being someone's good ancestor, someone that they would be proud and happy to call into their circle, someone whose wisdom they might like to benefit from, somebody whose qualities they might like to integrate into our lives, their lives. I like thinking about being a good ancestor, and so I just, I just said into my phone, uh, how to be a good ancestor, and I found this wonderful TED Talk by a social philosopher named um, Roman Kuznarik. I might have butchered his last name, but I don't think so. Kuznarik. Um, he's best known for his work on empathy, and he talks about transgenerational empathy for the generations who've come, who are coming after you. And I love that because uh, he talked about a whole movement in Japan called the future planning movement and how they give a voice to the people who aren't here yet. And he said, we've colonized the future in our world by dumping onto them problems that they have no ability to object to. We dump on them ecological problems and economic problems and they can't say boo about it because they're not here yet. But some people in the future movement are trying to give voice to those who have not arrived yet on planet Earth and they think about the generations to come for the next 10,000 years and how can we Give them a voice as we plan for the future. He talked about a movement in the 2019 European elections called Give the Kids Your Vote, where, for example, a 79-year-old grandfather in Great Britain talked to his 11-year-old granddaughter and said, I'm not going to be here for very much longer and so here are the issues and here are the people and who do you think would make a better future for you because you don't have a voice in this election now being 11 years old but I'm going to give you my voice I just think that's such a wonderful idea so think about who your ancestors are and, and how you would want to honor them and what you might want to cook or bake that they cooked or baked or what might you want to read that they read or how might you want to emulate them and how might you want to recognize qualities in you that are from them this is our joyful task on all saints day is to feel our ancestors dancing through our veins, whispering to our spirit, hinting to us that we might like to become even better ancestors than they were. It's hard to picture everybody who's going to come. Our stewardship team has sent out packets of blue bonnet seeds to those who pledged, and I think I would like to ask you to Hold those seeds in your hand before you plant them and think how many blue bonnets these seeds are going to make. But no, it's not just the number of blue bonnets that there are seeds because each of the flowers is going to make more seeds. And then each of those flowers is going to make more seeds. So in your hand, you're holding a nearly infinite number of blue bonnets. And that's the same with our families, 
our biological families, our chosen families, the numbers of people who are coming after us who are going to be influenced by us are as numerous as the grains of sand in the sea or the stars in the sky. Let us be a blessing to them. I invite you to join me as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. For the benediction, I'm going to sing you another chant from the neo-pagan tradition. You've been singing hoof and horn. This is another one called She Changes Everything She Touches, imagining the divine mystery as a, a woman. She changes everything she touches and Everything she touches changes. She changes everything she touches and everything she touches changes. Changes, touches, touches, changes, changes, touches, touches, changes. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.